the church in Antioch. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned, in, turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jason. One short um, addition to the announcement that Irene just gave on the women's retreat, <clears throat> and that is if, um, if finances are a barrier uh, for any of you women who are considering attending this retreat, we don't want that to be the reason uh, that you choose not to go. Uh, we do have some funds available to help, so you can talk to Janet and anybody on the organizing team. You can also speak to me, and please don't, don't be ashamed about that. Yeah, come and talk to us. If you'd like to go and finances are a real issue, please, um, please let us know. So my name is Eric. I am Pastor Eric also, um, for those of you who don't know me. Um, we, uh, this morning, like um, Pastor E.C. shared, we are starting a new series within a series. So it's kind of like one of those little Russian dolls. There's a doll within a doll. This is a series within a series, and I'm really excited about it. This is a four-part vision series for us for 2019 for our church. What we'll be doing here at the end of our uh, look at Acts 1 through 12, we'll be zeroing in and honing in on one particular church here in Acts. It's the church at Antioch. What you just heard Jason read for all of us is the beginning story of how this church started. And we're going to be spending four weeks looking at this church. The series we've been in, in Acts, we've called it Blueprint. I just discovered there's a podcast. Um, it's called, uh, this podcast is called How I Built This. And in this podcast, the host talks to innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists about the stories behind the movements that they built. And so the podcast, uh, the host interviews Ben and Jerry, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, the best, uh, Kate Spade, the founder of Lyft and Instagram, Dollar Shave Club, all these people who built these companies or these movements. The reason I bring that up is because I love that title. This, this is how Acts, the book of Acts, was written and how it is meant to be read by us. You could take the book of Acts, and if it had a cover and a title all its own, it would say, how I built this by Jesus. That is what the book of Acts is all about. How was the church built? 
And what can we learn from this today? So we're looking at the church at Antioch, and the reason we're spending four weeks on this church is because I see this particular church, the church at Antioch, as being a very unique blueprint church for us here at Trinity, for the kind of church that I hope and pray and dream that Jesus will build here at Trinity and the church that I do see him building here at our church. Before we get into the text, let me just introduce this entire series by saying and answering the question, why Antioch anyway? What's so unique and what's so special about Antioch? I was reading some of the history of Antioch, and as I was reading about this place in the first century, a city um, in modern-day Syria, I was thinking, man, if this place existed today, I would want to visit it. It was one of the most influential cities in the ancient world behind Rome and Alexandria, probably the third most important city. It's uh, then, like I said, it was, it's a part of modern-day Turkey. It was then a part of what was known as Syria. It was a wealthy city, a lot of commerce, a lot of trade. There was a lot to do in Antioch. It had a marketplace, a theater, an amphitheater. They loved their entertainment. They loved their sports. They hosted games there. They even had a big circus there. It was also a center for education, for Hellenistic education, and a leader in that field. It was a melting pot of cultures, so many different religions. Because there were all kinds of different religions and, and different gods worship, there was always a festival to attend, and people were partying and enjoying themselves all the time. It had a great climate, 18 miles from the coast. It was called Antioch, the Great, the Queen of the East. Why Antioch? As I was reviewing all this and learning more about Antioch, I kept thinking, this is so much like Orange County. We have a marketplace too in Tustin and Irvine. I go there all the time. <laughs> it is diverse. We live in such a diverse county. It's beautiful, multicultural. We value education. We love our sports. Go Rams. Yeah, let's do it. And we have the best circus ever invented, Disneyland. <laughs> if you love Disneyland, please don't be offended that I call it a circus. You know, it's like that. It's entertainment. It's amazing. So in Orange County, we have a melting pot of everything, and we have the weather. They were 18 miles from the coast right here where we sit or stand. We're 16 miles from the coast. So we could say, with pride, Southern California is the queen of the east. I'm sorry, the queen of the west. <laughs> I got confused. I grew up in Florida. Antioch, what it boils down to, it was a church in a context a lot like ours. A lot like ours. How did Jesus build the church there in this type of city and place? Acts tells us how. It tells us what kind of church he built there. What kind of church was it? Well, Antioch was the first multi-ethnic church in the Bible, the first place where Christians learned how to talk about Jesus to people who believed different uh, than they did, people who were of a different ethnic background, background than them. It's the first church to intentionally send out people from their church on mission to other places. They had a big vision outward, and they had a long-term deep impact inward and in their own city. 
It was a church that had a faithful gospel presence. If you look at history for many, many years, many of the great names in church history came from Antioch. Ignatius, Lucian, Theodore, John Chrysostom were all leaders in the church in Antioch. All these things I pray, I dream, I hope will be true in increasing fashion of our church here at Trinity. There's also a personal reason uh, why Antioch is special to me. Because one of the main reasons I'm here, I'm here as a pastor of, of Trinity and my family moved here to Orange County, is because of this church, the church at Antioch. Uh, in the fall of 2015, I received an email from, um, at the time, the only elder in the church, Darian Lockett, and it was on September 18th, on a Friday. It said, hey, I just want to let you know we're searching for a pastor. If you want to find out more information, just, just uh, contact me and let me know. I got that email on a Friday, and I was, I was thinking about it. I was wondering, what, what, what is this? Is this God? What's happening um, is God maybe possibly calling us to find out more? And on the, the Sunday, two days later, at the church I was at in San Diego, we started a sermon series on the book of Acts and started with the church at Antioch. And the pastor I'd been working with for over 10 years, he stood up and he said, to be a church like Antioch, which we want to be, it means we send out our leaders. It means we send out our pastors to new places to do new things. And I was sitting there in the front row going, I think God's, I think God's talking to me and I could feel it. So this church, the church at Antioch, has a very special place in my life. It, it's why I'm here. So for the next four weeks, we'll finish this Blueprint series we've, we've been in by asking, what can we learn from this church? What can we learn about the kind of church we seek to be in Orange County? The first thing I want to look at this morning is how it was a church that went deep in Scripture, how it was a church that was immersed in the Word of God. So three points this morning as we walk through the text. First is why we need to go deep in Scripture. Secondly, how. How do we go deep? And third, if we do, what will be the impact? First, why do we need to go deep in Scripture? Now, I realize this is probably true every Sunday, but in particular, I think this morning, I realize there are all kinds of objections and probably obstacles out there as we're thinking about the question, why go deep in Scripture? Some of you are wondering, I'm not sure I want to. I don't know if it's trustworthy and reliable. Some of you have obstacles in saying, I don't know what impact it will make in my life. There are many ways we could approach this, and we can't address every question this morning. But what I want to do is I want to begin with a broad answer to this question. To those who are skeptical about the Bible, maybe you're burnt out on the Bible, maybe you are just bored with the Bible. I want to address that, and I want to move into this text specifically to see how this theme is developed. Why go deep in Scripture? Why go deep in Scripture? My answer would be, the deeper you go, the better it gets. That is my experience. And that is the experience of Christians for over 2,000 years, from almost every cultural, intellectual, and ethnic background. 
Now, there is a caveat that I want to make to this statement, and that is this. If you are going deep in Scripture to get more information, to scrutinize the text, to analyze the Bible, or to find your way out of what you're finding and what you're hearing and what you're reading, if you are standing over the Bible as its authority and making it answer to you, it will remain a cold and distant book to you no matter how deep you go. But if you are standing under the Bible, instead of reading it, you are letting it read you. You are following all your questions, all your doubts, further into it in humility, willing to hear the answers that it gives. And I, I don't like to make promises as a pastor and say, I promise you this, but I, prom- I think I can promise you this, that the deeper you go, the better it will get. You will see all the many different parts that sometimes don't seem to make sense. They will begin to have a unity. You will see one story, a story more convincing than any other story, a story that's more convicting to your heart that somehow this story, this book knows you better than any other thing in the world. It will humble you like nothing else, but it will give you comfort and dignify you and lift you up like nothing you've ever heard. You will find a story that you want to be true even if you're not sure whether it is. And the deeper that you go, the deeper that you go in Scripture, you won't be reading anymore. You won't be simply reading. You will be hearing God, God the Holy Spirit, speaking to your own spirit. This is what happens. This is the deepest communication possible for a human being. God speaking to the deepest parts of your soul. Why go deep in Scripture? Because God will meet you in your deepest places in this book. How do we find that in this story of this church, the church at Antioch? Well, the story starts back in chapter 8 in Acts. In chapter 8, verse 1, it said, on that day, the day that uh, Stephen was killed and martyred as he was speaking about Jesus. He was killed. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. It says in verse 4, so those who were scattered, they went on their way, and they were preaching the Word. And then now we're picking up their story here in Acts 11, verse 19. What happened to all these new Christians who had been scattered as a result of this persecution? It says they went north to these lands, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. And then in verse 19, if you'll look there with me, what did they do? They went speaking the word first to no one but Jews, but then they began speaking to Greeks, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. What I want to do is ask you to just pause right there and let's see if we can imaginatively enter into the world of these displaced, refugee Christians. Imagine it. These are people who lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs. They lost their entire way of life. They had each other, those who went together. They had their faith, this newfound faith in Jesus, and that's all they had. When Stephen was martyred, they were no longer welcome in their hometown, where they grew up, where they lived. 
They were uprooted from everything, and here they were settling far, far away in these places. Now, when you are suffering and when you lose everything, whatever it is that's deep inside of you, isn't it exposed? It's revealed. It comes out. You find out what's there. What was there for these people, these Christians who settled in Antioch? It says it was the Word of God. It was this good news about the Lord Jesus. What do we see from how this church started? First we see the Bible it gives us something deeper than what any suffering can get to or touch. What this group of people had was something so deep inside, it was strong enough that when the worst that could happen to them and the worst that did happen to them, that when, that's, when that happened in their lives, they didn't just get through it. They didn't just endure through it for themselves. Somehow, amazingly, they were also thinking about other people. They were not just inwardly turned and hardened. Their suffering didn't crush them. What they had in the Word, what they had in the Gospel gave them something deeper than the worst that could happen to them. That's how this church started. Not only that, but I think as we, as we get into the world of these, these, these Christians who started this church, we see not only did the, the Bible give them something better than the worst Stronger than the worst that could happen to them, it gave them something better than the best thing that could happen to them. More deeply satisfying than the best thing that could have happened to them. What's the best thing that could have happened to these people? Is it not the best news they could have possibly heard? Hey, guess what? You can come back home. Come back to the place where you belong, where you grew up, where your friends are, where your jobs are. It's safe now. But this is a reality. They could have had that good news. All it took, if they simply said, never mind, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe it anymore. I'm done with that. But they didn't. They couldn't. Why? Because they had better news than even that. It says they couldn't help it. They were proclaiming this good news, verse 20. If I've learned one lesson of life at the age of 42, it's this. You can have the best thing happen to you. You can have the best news you could imagine at this place in your life, whatever that might be. It can come true for you. And very soon after it happens. It comes true. Deep inside, you're feeling what? Okay. What's next? The best thing that could happen to you, it's happened. The best news you could kind of imagine is that these things have happened, and then it's not satisfying. You're thinking, what's next? What's the next best thing? Why go deep in Scripture? These Christians who started this church offer what I think, what I see is the best defense, the best apologetic, the best answer to that question. This church was started because these people looked 
at these Christians who moved into their town and said they've suffered, they've lost everything, and they saw them speaking from this really raw and honest and deep place and saying, but I want to talk to you about Jesus. And the people said, can something, can something be that true? Can something be that real? Can something be that strong, stronger than the worst that could happen to anyone and better than the best news I could ever imagine? Many people were convinced, yes. Why go deep in Scripture? It gives us something stronger than the worst that could happen to us and something better than the best news we could imagine. I want to talk about how now, secondly. Well, how do we go deep in Scripture? How do we get there? How does that get deep into our souls? I don't like talking about formulas when it comes to faith and our spirituality, but the church at Antioch, I I think it gives us uh, somewhat of a formula or a recipe for going deep. And there are three C's I want to talk to you about that I see in this text. Consistency plus community plus conversation equals a community and a church that is deep in Scripture. First, consistency. What is the best way to build a healthy church? It's one of the questions we we can ask the book of Acts. It's one of the questions it was written to address. What's the best way to to bind together a diverse church, people from all over the place, different ethnic backgrounds? What's the best way to help a church become generous and a church to be growing in a healthy way? The church at Antioch would seem to suggest the answer is consistency in Scripture. Paul and Barnabas work together in this church. And when they came together, I can imagine they had a little bit of a meeting and said, what do we do? What's our strategy here to help this newly started church? What would they do if they had one year with this new church for people who had suffered, people who had come from very different backgrounds, many who had no idea what the Bible was all about? In verse 26, it tells us what their strategy was. It says, for a whole year they, tar- they taught large numbers. It was consistent time in Scripture. And that was needed to get it deep. In our culture, in our time, we are consistently saturated, maybe like never before, with messages, words, information. And it is generally true, I think, that what we are most consistently soaked in, immersed in, those messages, those words, that information will shape us. Think about it like this, an illustration. We are all marinating in something, and marinating is powerful. When I think of the power of marination, I think of the first time that I tried kimchi. Some of you love kimchi. And I don't know if marination or marinating is the right way to describe it. But if you don't know, kimchi is like a fermented spicy cabbage. Is that fair? Is that a good description? Okay, good. Uh, I, was, um, I was tutoring, trying to help this, this couple learn English. They were a, an older Korean couple. And for Christmas, they gave me a present, and it was a bag of kimchi. I'd never tried it before. I'd never touched it before or smelled it before. And it was a bag. And they said, here you go. I said, thank you so much. This is great. 
And then I put it in the fridge, and it just sat there for like a week, continuing its marinating process. And then when the next week came and my appointment with them came up, I was like, oh, shoot. I didn't know what to do with this stuff. And it's just sitting in the fridge. But if they're going to ask me, like, how was it? So I just opened up the bag and got a little piece and just ate it. Just to say, I had it and it was so good. It was really good. But I realized at that moment that that's powerful stuff. (laughs) If you haven't tried kimchi, try it and you will know what I mean. Marinating and soaking and all the goodness, right, if you love kimchi, it's all the goodness that it's soaking up. It takes on its own character. It soaks it all in. It becomes kimchi. To me, that's a picture of what, it's, what it takes for the Scriptures to go deep. It's, it's a marinating. In Deuteronomy 6, in talking about Scripture, Moses says to the people of Israel, these words are to be in your heart. These words are not just supposed to be in our mind, he says. These words are to be in your heart. How do they get there? He says, talk about them when you're sitting, when you're walking, and when you're lying down. Bind them to your hands and write them on your foreheads. Write them in the doorposts of your house. The point, soak consistently, marinate in the words of Scripture. Consistency plus community. Verse 21 says a large number of people believed. Verse 24 says they taught large numbers. Verse 26 says for a whole year they met with the church and taught these large numbers. As I was looking at this, I was thinking, why all the focus on large numbers? I thought we weren't supposed to be too too concerned about numbers. We're not supposed to think about how large a church is. That's not right. But God is really focused on numbers here. Why? I think the answer is because reading Scripture, teaching, and learning is meant to be done in numbers, in community with other people. The more people, the better. The more diverse the community, the better. The church at Antioch was built on this. It's not me and the Bible. It's we and the Bible. And they were putting that into practice. We often think of our own personal Bibles, and thankfully, we do have our own personal Bibles, and we have many of them available to us. In the first century, they did not have their own personal copies of the Bible, too expensive, too hard to produce. So they only had a community copy of the Bible. And even with that reality, that limitation, they learned to hear They learn to discuss. They learn to engage Scripture as a we. That's how it's meant to be engaged and how it goes deep. Consistency, community, and conversation. What did they do for a whole year? They met together, it says, and Paul taught them. From the rest of Acts, we can gather that this was not just a monologue, but a dialogue, a place for questions and discussions to happen, for conversation to occur. When Paul taught throughout the book of Acts, the words that are used is that he persuaded, he dialogued, he discussed the gospel with other people. If you have your bulletin, you can just flip uh, to the front. There's a quote I want to point out from Will Willimon's thoughts on this text. It's the fourth one down. He says, 
Like the Judaism which gave it birth, Christianity is a religion to be discussed, learned, debated, and taught. It was in Antioch that the disciples were for the first time called Christians. Here is a faith so strange, so against the grain of our natural inclinations that only by careful instruction and long-term nurture can it be apprehended in the lives of those who would believe. The Bible is a strange book. The Bible is a book whose main message is clear, but often there's parts that we don't understand. This is why we need community, conversation, discussion together, consistency, community, conversation. This is the way the church in Antioch was begun and was built. We have a tool we're using here at Trinity that we hope would accomplish this and help us engage this recipe or this formula. We call it CBR. This is my seventh year using the Bible reading plan in the tool Community Bible Reading. This one for me, more than anything I've ever done in my life, has brought these three C's together. And so I want to encourage you. This is how we're seeking to live it out. Join us. Read Scripture with us as a community. It's what we'll be focusing on for the month of March at our Sunday nights. Why go deep in Scripture? How do we go deep in Scripture? Lastly, the impact of going deep in Scripture. You say, okay, if I do this, if I'm convinced, okay, it's worth doing, here's how to do it, what will happen? What will the impact be in my life? Well, what was the effect of all this time, this consistency, this community, and all this conversation happening about Scripture for this church? I would summarize it like this. The atmosphere, the ethos of the church at Antioch is that the people were experiencing a transformative personal encounter with Jesus. That is the ultimate purpose of the Bible and the impact of our reading and our studying and discussion. Let me break that into two pieces, transformative and then personal encounter with Jesus. I love nicknames. I give my kids all kinds of nicknames that change over time, and so I love to call them uh, by their nicknames. Being, uh, though, given a nickname that you don't want is one of the worst things, right, that can happen to you. And then somehow it's just like it's what you, it's what you are, right? It sticks. Um, different times in my life, I've been given some different nicknames that I like, some not so much. Some people have called me Yam. Some people have called me Swami. And some people, this was back in college, called me Sticky. That was the one I hated the most. And I'm not, we're not even going to talk about that one. Don't call me that. In Antioch, the city was actually known to be a city that gave nicknames to different groups of people. They wanted to categorize you and label you and figure out where did you fit. We do this all the time, right? We, we kind of categorize people. They're surfers and jocks and nerds and grunger, hipster, gangster, whatever you want to say. And this, in Antioch, is where the nickname Christian comes from. Did you see that in verse 26? This is the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's not what they called themselves. It's a nickname that was given to them by the people of Antioch. They were trying to make sense of this new community in their city. 
So it was used by non-Christians, people who were observing on the outside, going, what is this? It's used the same way in, in 1 Peter. Only later did the church say, okay, fine, we'll call ourselves Christians. And they had a reputation, like I said, Antioch, for coming up with these names. They were kind of taunting. They called people the Herodians if they liked King Herod, the Neronians if they liked the Emperor Nero, the Caesarians, the Augustinians, if you were the fan of the emperor. For, for the Christians, they said, what do we call you? You are, you are the Christ people. They didn't call them the Scripture people or the Bible people. They called them the Christ people. When we talk about becoming Christians, we talk about becoming a Christian as a personal act of faith. I've become a Christian. I, I believed. I want um, to engage in this, in this life and follow Jesus. But that's not what it meant to become a Christian here in the New Testament. To become a Christian in Acts and, and in 1 Peter, it was something that happened to you when you went deep into Scripture. All of a sudden, your life began to change in a way that nobody could understand. There was no category to fit you. There was no label to make sense of what was happening to you. The only label and the only category that fit was, you're starting to look like Jesus. You're starting to think like Jesus. And we don't have any way to categorize that. It's not Democrat, Republican, progressive, conservative, millennial, boomer, Gen X. None of those things can define the person who is becoming a Christian. It's a transformative encounter. It's a transformative encounter because it's a personal encounter with Jesus. What happened to people as they heard and taught Scripture? They were spending all this time, a whole year together, it says, that what was happening in this, in this Scripture-saturated community with people talking about it all the time, it says they turned to the Lord, 21, and they were added to the Lord. We might just skip over that phrase and say, that's interesting, they were added to the Lord. Why doesn't it say they were added to the church? No, added to the Lord. The word here is the same word where we get the word for prosthetics. When you add a body part to your body, when something is connected to something else. This is a clue to the source of the transformative power of the Scriptures. They connect us to Jesus. It's Luke, the same author of the book of Acts, who recorded Jesus' own teaching on how we experience the powerful impact of the Scriptures. I want to put up Luke 24, 44 through 49 on the screens so you can read along with me. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, This, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He opened their mind to understand the Scriptures, that they are all about Him. If we come to the Scriptures for information, 
we will get information. And the impact will be, most of the time, it will be simply a hobby for us to gather information, to pursue our questions, to make us feel right or smart. If we come to the Scriptures looking for self-help, there'll be plenty of things that we'll encounter and say, well, maybe I should try this. Maybe I should do this and follow this better. The impact will be we'll feel pretty good when we're doing good, and then when we're not doing so good, we'll feel shame and guilt. And over time, we will burn out. If we come to the Scriptures looking for ways to point the finger at other people, we will find plenty of ways that people are not following what the Bible says. And the impact will be we will become self-righteous and angry. If we come to the Scriptures as Jesus taught, looking for Him, we will find a Savior who suffered for us. We will find a deeper love than we could ever imagine. We will find a deeper forgiveness than we ever realized we needed. We will find a risen Lord who is at work in us and in the world and in all nations and whose power cannot be matched. There we will find a strength, a strength that is stronger than any of our suffering. There we will find the best news better than anything that could ever happen to us because there we will find Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for me and for our church I pray you would teach us the same lesson that you taught your disciples. That you would open up our minds to understand the scriptures and you would take us deep as a community into your word. And I pray that there you would strengthen us, there you would provide us with a beautiful hope, and we would learn to soak and saturate together in the good news. And in that, you would form us deeply together, that we would indeed, little bit by little bit, more and more, have the title and the name Christian, that we might look like you in all your love, in all your graciousness, in all your generosity, that all our reading of Scripture would form us, shape us, humble us, and give us deep hope. We need it. I pray that you would do it amongst us. Only you can. We thank you and we pray in your powerful name. Amen.